Hi! Hey! Welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, and those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? Well, that question led me on a deep dive into the history of my faith, the history of Christianity, the Bible, where it came from, how God put together, how tradition fit into all of this, and what the heck was going on in my personal faith journey, the, the history of my version of Christianity. Well, it was in there that I encountered the ancient Catholic Church. It looms large in church history, and there it was. And as I began to give it a chance to read from actual Catholic theologians and historians, I realized what I thought I knew about the Catholic faith was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week, I'm joined by my good friend, Dr. Douglas Beaumont, to tackle the question of an evangelical exodus into Catholicism. Why are evangelicals becoming Catholic? We tackle that question with Doug himself, who is himself a convert. He's edited a fantastic book called Evangelical Exodus, which charters some of the incredible stories of himself and his classmates from Southern Evangelical Seminary, and how all of these uh, people on mass, it seems, became Catholic, and how those kind of things unfold. Why are, why do evangelicals become a Catholic? What's, what's drawing them in? We take apart this and look at it from different angles, and Doug always has some fascinating insights into these kind of phenomenon, so I'm excited to hear what he has to say this week, and I'm sure you will be as well when you join us in this conversation. It'll be a fantastic one. This show is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. You guys help to underpin this show each and every week and help me to produce this thing to help new people to, to hear it and draw more and more into these kind of conversations. And I have a whole bunch of new patrons to thank this month. Thank you to Garrett. Thank you to Geneva. Thank you to Jose. Thank you to Carla for your support of the show. You guys are fantastic. And this thing would not be possible without you. So thank you so much for your support of the show. If you want to help out, head over to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic or paypal.me slash cordialcatholic for a one-time donation. Those links are in the show notes as well. And now, without any further ado, my absolutely fantastic conversation with Dr. Douglas Beaumont on Evangelicals Becoming Catholic. Why, where, when, what's going on, folks? Doug has all the answers. It's a fantastic conversation. Please listen and enjoy. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. If you are watching the show, thank you. Hi out there. Please like this channel and subscribe and do all those cool things. Go to Doug's channel too. Those links are just down there in the description and, and also subscribe to his channel. It's better than my channel. So you want to see his stuff more than you want to see this, I, I, I assure you. If you're listening on podcasts, thank you. Make sure you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify because those help to push the podcast out to new people and they're just lovely to read. They're very heartwarming. Some nice people out there enjoying this content. 
so thank you. Uh, my guest this week is no stranger to this show. Uh, I'm talking about Dr. Douglas Beaumont. He has a PhD in theology from Northwestern University, an MA in apologetics from Southern Evangelical Seminary. He's the author of some fantastic books, including Evangelical Exodus, a fantastic book, one of my most treasured and, and, and dog-eared books over here in my library, Doug. And uh, with one accord, affirming Catholic teaching uh, using Protestant principles from Catholic Answers Press out in 2020. He has a fantastic aforementioned YouTube channel. Check him out there as well. Some awesome content comes out once in a while. Doug, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here. And hello. Hello, Keith. It's good to see you. Um, I, I like how you describe the YouTube channel. <laughs> Occasionally content yeah it's it's pretty it, there's been more though i think i've yeah. done more in 2022 than the two years yeah. previous yeah so. I, think, I think you have and the algorithm is is good on youtube so i'm subscribed to your channel and i, I your videos whenever you post and they pop up right in my right in front of my my feed so i always see them and they're maybe far few and far between doug but they're fantastic there's there's good content like you're the guy you're the guy on, on topics like this, uh, so it's always fun to hear your thoughts on on these kinds of things. You know, questions of, of conversion, uh, the, the why, the wherefores, some some warning signs or or, or, or warnings that you you might give. All these kinds of things, Doug. You're you're the guy on these kind of things, and you <laughs> you are. I should mention too the the OG guest for the Cordial Catholic Podcast. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, okay. Are you sitting down? You're sitting. I can see you're sitting down. I know. I'm not sure why I'm asking you. Okay, make sure. Make sure. 176 episodes ago, Doug, we first we first chatted. Almost four years ago now. You were you were the first actual guest on this on this show. Uh, so right. yeah, you go way back uh, on this show, Doug. You have a special place in all of our hearts. Uh, listeners love you. I love you. Um, as does your family, I'm sure, uh, and I appreciate the time you take away from them to be with here, here with us at the Courts of Catholic Family. So, so thanks, Doug. Much love, brother. Much love. Uh, you <laughs> are so we're talking about a, an evangelical exodus. That's the title of a book that you you edited, which was fantastic. I want to get into that in a minute. I want to maybe begin because you have some street cred on this kind of a topic, Doug, which is why I think you're a fantastic guy to talk about these kind of evangelical uh, conversions. We're we're talking. Uh, I don't like to, to date this show in, in time and space. I want it to be evergreen so people can access it whenever they want to. Uh, it, when we're recording this right now, though, there has was, was, been a famous, not a famous, conversion uh, recently. I can't remember Tuesday from the Capturing Christianity YouTube channel. I think one of the one of the biggest maybe Christian kind of apologetics channels on YouTube has recently announced his intention to become Catholic. And that's kind of stirred up all these conversations again. It's uh, it's it's stirred up a lot of the the terrible takes and response videos on YouTube and, and on Twitter. Some good ones as well. Um, so that kind of was a catalyst for these kind of conversations I want to have here today, Doug. But that's that's one conversion out of many that that happened throughout all the years and will continue happening uh, throughout the years to come as this podcast will live on in the directories. So I don't want to get too much into that, but. In general, in the main, evangelical conversions are kind of one of your things. You're a convert yourself, Doug. So I want to take a minute to maybe lay out like five minutes or so your own journey and then maybe the birth of, of Evangelical Exodus, it, the book, how that came about. Because your journey is part of a, a, a wider conversation or a wider spectrum or a wider phenomenon of journeys in one particular place. Uh, but it's also interesting in, in its own right. So I'll stop talking now. You tell me a bit about us, a bit about your own journey, and then the journeys that you recorded in that uh, in that fine book out from Ignatius Press. Uh, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't a Christian for about the first 
you know, round off, say, 20 years of my life. Uh, I was entering college when I really became a Christian for the first time, and it was really just through evangelical ministries that I discovered Christ and uh, the church and the Bible and all this. You know, I, I pretty much learned all of it as an adult, and um my conversion was largely due to people being good apologists, um, you know, being able to answer my stupid arguments <laughs> that I had um, and not just say, you know, here's some stuff that you need to believe or you go to hell. But I didn't find that convincing. Um, so when I became a believer, it was really precisely because my arguments had been answered, good reasons had been given. And so I kind of wanted to become that guy for other people. So I really spent the next several years trying to learn how to defend my faith. And I discovered a school clear across the nation in North Carolina uh, called Southern Evangelical Seminary, where the, a school that Norman Geisler had started kind of as a like a little pet project. And they were doing something virtually unheard of back then, which was actually offering graduate level degrees in apologetics. So we packed up, moved out there, and that ended up turning into a 15-year uh, project. Uh, I finished my master's. I got hired on in various roles, eventually became a, a teacher. So I was uh, teaching at the like undergrad and graduate level for about 10 years. And during that time, I met a lot of people, had a lot of great conversations, and I entered into the PhD program that I actually helped start. Um, <laughs> and uh, as I started getting into it, I really kind of wanted to round off my particular apologetic approach by just kind of hitting bedrock on a couple of issues that I didn't feel like we'd quite gotten down to yet. So, for example, we had been taught how to defend the Bible. Uh, but, of course, the Bible is a collection of books. It's really like a library that's just bound. And while I could argue in general in the abstract for the Word of God, picking out all the individual books was a totally different story. And so I got really interested in how the canon came into existence. And, you know, at this point I'm operating at, you know, doctoral level. Um, I've got tons of time to read. So I'm, I'm being you know paid to read and talk to people <laughs> about things, which is amazing. Um, so I got really in depth into the study of the canon. And then my other uh, big thing at the time was the notion of orthodoxy, because in doing apologetics, you have to be able to draw a very, a clear line between people who need to be evangelized and people who just need to be taught. And the people who need to be evangelized are the people that are on their way to hell, you know, because of, of what their beliefs are. But I was also a good enough Protestant to realize that there were hundreds and hundreds of different beliefs out there. And so we kind of had this line that we drew between the essentials and the non-essentials of the faith. So you can disagree on non-essentials, but you have to agree on the essentials. Well, where did that list come from? So I was really trying to find bedrock on those two issues. Like, where did the canon come from? Where does orthodoxy come from? And golly darn it, wouldn't you know it? I, uh, I just kept running into the Catholic Church in uh, both, of those, um, both of those studies. And over a five-year period, I basically you know, kind of read my way into realizing that the Catholic Church was really what made coherent sense out of these different uh, problems that could resolve them. And if I wanted to be a part of the church that resolved them, I, I had to become Catholic. Well, meanwhile, a lot of the people that I had been talking to um, at the seminary or people that had graduated or even people who had used to teach there as professors, a lot of people had become Catholic over the years. And because I was part of some of the backroom discussions about these people and staff and faculty meetings, 
I kind of knew what was being said about them. And when I saw the writing on the wall and thought, you know, and I'm, I'm probably going to end up Catholic. I need to, I need to extricate myself from the situation. So I didn't resign any contracts the next year started RCIA. But about that time, I also got a bunch of the guys together and I said, listen, why don't we each tell our story and put it out somewhere, blog, website, whatever. I don't care. I just want to have something we can reference so that when all of these, uh, let's call them narratives, <laughs> start coming out about how we all became Catholic and, and what really went on here. We'll, you know, we'll have an answer for that. And everybody turned in such fantastic work. I mean, of course, they're all grad students. Half of them are, you know, working on PhDs. And I thought, this is publishable, you know, and, and I've got a whole, you know, rack of um, conversion books. I love them. So I thought this would be interesting. You know, what if we put together a compilation of these stories all these people from the same evangelical seminary that became Catholic over you know, a large period of time. And then we will have something that we can say, this is like the official story. And uh, yeah, Ignatius picked it up. So, I mean, gosh, it was like, you know, accidentally hitting a home run your first time at bat, you know, just like, wow, okay, I guess we're Ignatius authors now. And <laughs> so I wrote my chapter, I wrote a couple of the appendices, and then everybody got their own chapter. Um, some of the other guys wrote some of the other appendices. So we covered like the four major arguments against the church and how we all kind of dealt with those. And then our personal stories make up the chapters. So that's how that book came to be. And that's kind of the backstory on my conversion. Well, it's, it's fantastic uh, work, Doug. I mean, it really is. And I mentioned before, you know, one of the most dog-eared kind of bookmarked books in my in my library, because I keep going back to it, because I think, I should say too, the other book of yours, I don't have anymore. I was looking forward to it. I've given it away. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. I didn't throw it away, Doug. I gave it away to somebody else who I thought would really benefit from it. That's so exactly. I couldn't, it's not, well, not, buy another one. Yeah, it's not here anymore. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's how it keeps on going, right? You know, Evangelical Exodus, I think what I love about that book is that it, it, you guys were seminarians in Evangelical Seminary, that you were there, you were intentionally digging deep into evangelical theology. You weren't just some, some Joe Schmoes off the street who became Catholic, like, you know, like, like myself, who have no formal you know, training at a, at a higher level like that. You guys knew your stuff and still became Catholic. Like, knowing, knowing your stuff drove you deeper in, in, to become Catholic. Catholic. Like that's really a remarkable thing. I remember when I was first looking into this, into the idea of converting, I literally typed into Google, like evangelicals becoming Catholic, really thinking that no one ever did that, that it was a thing that no one, no one did because why would they? I had this crazy thought that maybe I should try that and thought, no, 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 I, I must be the first person to ever have this thought. Like why would it, why would anybody else who loves their church, who knows their Bible, who knows what they be believe and who, who are following the right interpretation of the Bible become Catholic? little did I know that lots had come before me and done that. And the list I got back from Google were names like Scott Hahn, Steve Ray, you know, John Henry Newman, all these, you know, these, these famous conversion stories throughout, throughout the, the years of people becoming Catholic. You hadn't written yours just yet, Doug, that would come out the following year after I, you know, after I, I swam the Tiber. But it was amazing to me to think that this actually happens. And I think Seeing the reaction of other people, other prominent evangelicals becoming Catholic online through the years since then, since my own conversion, the reactions are often the same, and it's, it's what were these people thinking? How, how could they ever, ever do this? But I think you know this, I know this, you know, you've outlined this in the, in the book, and your, the other authors make this quite clear. 
we're thinking about this. This isn't the decision that just kind of happens by, by happenstance, happenstance, happenstance. There are good reasons to think that the Catholic Church is a live option to actually join, right? We, we, there are, I guess my question then is, why is it, do you think that some people are just so shocked that this is even a thing people do? Like, why was, why was I way back then? Why are people these days on, on Twitter so shocked that somebody who's thought these things through would become Catholic? Like, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think, um, you know, and, and I, I deal with a little bit of this in a, one of the articles I'm pretty happy with on my website about um, basically worldview uh, paradigm shift or religious conversion. I, I stole most of the material. I just came up with a new graphic, but um, <laughs> I still like it a lot. It's but I graphic. think that what happens is there's, you know, people tend to think of conversion as like, like a, an on-ramp, you know, like you're here and then you just gradually, gradually, and now you're here. Right. And I think that, um, the authors that I stole um, my view from uh, are right in that it actually is made up of distinct stages and very different things happen at each stage. Um, there's different causes, there's different effects, there's different things that help, different things that hurt. And um, to when, when you're in the stasis stage, which is, um, you know, basically you're, you're settled in your worldview, you're happy with your worldview, um, you see problems as just uh, things that need to be overcome, you know, but not like true aberrations that actually call the view into question. To see somebody go through the other three stages um, and then all of a sudden they're jumping ship and they're in a new worldview, it, it can just be incomprehensible. Yeah. Um, I like to tell, like when I'm sharing my story with other uh, Catholics, I'll just say, you know, like how many of you would consider becoming Muslim right now? You know, and I very rarely get any hands. <laughs> um, and I just say, just, I just want you to think like for a moment, like what would it take to get you from where you are to where you're seriously thinking, I, I think I need to become Muslim. Like just imagine what that would be like. And it's so hard to consider that because it's just so obviously false. I mean, my gosh, like it's it's just not even on the table for consideration. And I, and I think that for many evangelicals, especially those that are not familiar with classical Protestantism, uh, that don't realize how far their own tradition is from, you know, <laughs> the, the historic faith, um, they just see Catholicism as just so utterly bizarre and weird and wrong in so many ways um, that it, it just it just becomes almost impossible to even imagine someone becoming that. Um and yeah, I mean, like I tell people, I, I had five years where, where I got paid to read and talk and, and it still took that whole entire time and every minute of those five years. Um, and I was still at Easter vigil, you know, hang, holding on to the edge of the pew, you know, <laughs> hoping I wasn't just going to, you know, lose my mind. Um, it's a, it's a huge deal. Um, and I, I think a lot of people don't realize it until they're in it, uh, what a big deal it is. Yeah, and I guess the thing, I, I get this a lot, listeners to the show, uh, viewers to the channel will ask me, what's a good book to give someone to convert them, right? They're, they're, and that's kind of the, the misnomer that you can just give someone a good book or, or have a good argument that's going to like a light switch, just convert somebody. But that's not how it happens, right? You, you, it, it's a gradual process. And from, from the outside, somebody who wants to convert somebody else, but give them a, a good book, or someone that sees that person who is converted thinks, oh, they they just read this one thing they must have been convinced by and and all the other evidence be damned. Or they didn't read this or this or this or they would, would have stayed for sure evangelical. It's not as easy 
as as a good book or a good bunch of books or reading the right things, right? Yeah, I mean, if you think about what we are composed of as humans, you know, we're not just an intellect. You know, you, you can't just flip the logic switches and we change our mind about things. Um, so you get people to get all mad. Oh, you know, that was just an emotional decision. It's like, well, emotion was there. I mean, if you're a human being, that should be, you know, like that's kind of one of the markers of being humans, <laughs> you know, having emotions. Um, and, and then the will is involved, you know. Um, I think there needs to be reasons that, that motivate us to even, you know, ask these kinds of questions in the first place. And some people just aren't there. Um, and that's why, you know, I think when you recognize the different stages of conversion, it's, it's helpful to see that, that, you know, somebody that's in kind of the stasis stage, um, what they really need are reasons to, they need to see inconsistencies in their right, own view. Right. Um, you can't just say, oh, I've got this really great argument for this other view. It, it's just not going to really probably do anything. Um, there has to be some motivation to, to get people adrift a little bit. They're like, okay, yeah, there's some serious problems here that maybe can't be resolved in the old worldview you know, now it becomes at least moderately interesting to look at other views. Um, and a lot of people just never reach that point. You know, um, you know, we were talking about uh, Cameron, uh, uh, what's his name, Bertuzzi. Uh, I just saw a thing pop up on my YouTube feed where he's begging people to quit contacting his wife, um, who is not interested in becoming Catholic, apparently, and everyone's sending her books and emails and all this stuff. And, um, you know, he's like, you can see like he's angry, like yeah, people, yeah. you know, like, let me be clear, shut up. You know, I mean, that's basically what he said. Um, and uh, yeah, she's just not there. You know, my wife's not there. Other people's, you know, uh, one of my favorite stories about conversion is one, one of the guys that contributed to evangelical exodus, uh, Brian Matthews. Uh, he had a guy that was just giving him literally boxes of Catholic books. You know, read this, read this, read this, read this. Cause he just wanted him to become Catholic so bad. Well, one of these books was apparently like this Marian devotion book. And he said, well, don't, don't read this one. Like, you, know, you got to be like almost Catholic before you're going to want to read the Marian book. So just put that one aside and, until you think you're going to become Catholic. Well, Brian's wife ends up getting a hold of this book. And she reads it. Bam. I want to become Catholic. You know, like, where did that come from? Yeah. If my wife had found that book, she probably would have like left me, you know? <laughs> um, so you just never know. Yeah. There, there's no silver bullet. Um, it's, you know, there, there are things that have been universally apparently helpful, you know, like Scott Hahn and, you know, Rome Sweet Home and things like that. But, um, you know, even look there, it's, it's like he and Kimberly are sharing the same life together and he's going Catholic and she's becoming, you know, nearly suicidal, you know, so it's just, everybody's in a different place yeah. and, um, there's, there's no one thing that's going to do it for anybody. Yeah, and we mentioned this before on the show uh, when we had you on the past that a lot of these journeys are journeys that 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 we're going on as the convert that are totally interior in some cases, especially us men, dare I say, who often will keep things inside, much to our, <laughs> our wives' chagrins, and suddenly just drop that bomb like, hey, you know what? I got to become Catholic, and you know our spouses are like, what? What? What do you? <laughs> since since when? Right? That was my case for sure, and I've had a number of guests on the show had similar trajectories where that journey is not a journey that they're they're sharing, but you expect sometimes that you know your friends who are also thinking evangelicals will suddenly go, oh yeah, you know what? You're right. I should become Catholic too. Meanwhile, that's not they haven't read what you've read. They haven't gone through what you've gone through. They have different experiences, right? That that it's it's hard to understand why a person becomes Catholic if you haven't walked that journey with them or had those 
like you say, reasons to look at your worldview and go, oh, hey, there's there's a problem here. I got to figure out how to solve that, right? Yeah, one, one of my favorite personal stories of that is that, that I, I experienced both. Like, I actually remember both of these happening. <laughs> so when uh, Jeremiah Coward, one of the other contributors to Evangelical Exodus, when he became Catholic, he suggested that I read Rome Sweet Home by Scott Hahn. So I got it and I read it. And I kind of forgot about it. So, you know, years and years and years go by and I'm starting to become Catholic. I'm in RCIA. And one of our textbooks for RCIA is Rome Sweet Home. And so I just thought, oh, how funny, you know, that I'm reading this book again. So I went ahead and read it and I'm going, you know, this is, this is brilliant. You know, like, like it's, it's like, he's been reading my blog, you know, like, he, you know, he just lays <laughs> out these arguments so great in this book. And I thought, you know, that first time I read it, I must just have not been paying attention because there's no way someone could read this and not be convinced. So I went and got my old copy, expecting it to just be like virtually blank. No, the whole thing highlights. I had taken notes. I made my own index in the back of the book. <laughs> Sounds like you. I mean, I digested this thing and it had no effect on me whatsoever. Yeah. And then, you know, five years later, I'm reading it going, oh, yeah, of course. This is all so obvious. You'd have to be an idiot not to become Catholic after reading this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then I realized I myself was the idiot. Um, so, yeah, we, we definitely have to be in a certain place before things hit us, I think. You know, and it's those impacts that maybe need a lot, to you know, leading up to them. Um, and it's I – th I think there's two – there's, like, two problems. One is somebody thinking that they're – um, experience can be shared easily and directly. And then the other one is people that just blow somebody off because they think that just one thing converted them, you know, Oh, he's just Catholic because he likes, you know, pretty windows. You know? <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's always so much more complex when we're dealing with humans. Yeah. Not just the windows, windows plus other, other stuff and the statues for me, it's windows and statues, statues, right? I mean, that you gotta have at least both of those, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, curse those modern churches. Uh, one of the things that it's interesting to watch these days is like the reactions to these kind of conversions, right? They're suddenly on YouTube is just full of reactions to somebody's conversion and, and kind of critiquing it or pulling it apart. And it's, it's, it's always this, well, if they just considered this or just considered this or thought of this differently or, hey, they got this, this kind of thing wrong. It, and it seems like some of these reaction videos seem to think that, I don't know, they, they know better than the, the person who's making the conversion, but they present these ideas that, okay, if they had just considered this idea, they would have seen that, you know, their thinking is wrong. On the the papacy, for example, well, this this for, for, for Cameron in particular, but for many of us, the papacy was one of those big pillars that drew us into the Catholic Church, right? The idea of authority and how we can... We can we can know what how to interpret the Bible rightly and and where and what and, and and how to be Christian right in a in a world that maybe you and I experienced Doug of all kinds of different denominations with different ideas about things right for for someone like me the papacy was this was this guiding light that made sense of how to be Christian there's an actual authority that can make definitive judgments and rulings in the magisterium with that kind of authority to say what what the Bible means and how to interpret it correctly and how to live live as a Christian, to realize that that goes back to the apostles and this idea of apostolic succession, like to chase these things out, there's a logic behind why that's attracted to somebody and why, for example, I became Catholic, thinking those kind of things through. So to have someone come and go, oh, well, you know, you just interpreted this one, one piece of your idea of the papacy wrong, 
that seems again to not quite get the idea that, okay, th th this person, these people, commerce like us, have wrestled with all kinds of things. Maybe that, that data point that you have, you know, on this typological interpretation is pretty strong. And maybe that is a reason to reconsider part of uh, my view. But, but one data point in a sea of data points on any topic, you know, in, in conversion, like that seems inconsequential or not as important as someone might think it is in their, in their reaction video to, to somebody's conversion. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. And you know, and it's funny, especially with, with the current um, Cameron situation, you, you've, you've got reactions to reactions already, you know, I mean, this, this has only been out like four days and you've already got people with their, their thumbnail on YouTube is like seven layers deep. Cause it's, you <laughs> know, for you. Um, yeah, that's right. And I, I haven't even put mine out yet. <laughs> We're um, waiting. But I, I watched, uh, you know, Gavin Ortland cause he's, he's just like one of the very few people I actually like watch occasionally. I, I for all my YouTube work, I hardly ever go on YouTube. Um, but you know, he made, he, he called them, um, he called them Cameron's hangups that, um, in his interview with Matt Fratt, he said he had three hangups that were keeping him from becoming Catholic. And it was a uh, divine simplicity. It was, uh, the literal Eucharist in John six, and then, um, the, the traditional view of hell. And, Gavin made like really good points. He's like, okay, first of all, uh, there are plenty of Protestants that believe in simplicity. So that like, shouldn't even be a thing. You know, I won't get into John six, but I mean, come on, like that's everybody's right. I mean, who doesn't have that one? Um, and then, um, Cameron says, well, then I discovered this, this like other view of, of hell that seemed a lot more traditional to me. And he, and he kind of says what it is. And Matt Fred just goes, yeah, I don't think you can believe that as a Catholic. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and, and he just goes, Oh, okay. And I'm like, wow. Like, are you just going to flip back now? You know, like this is these three things and you just lost one of them, like right here in front of the Vatican, you know, drinking your wine with, with uh, Matt. And um, so, yeah, I mean, like it would be so easy to just like tear that apart. But like you say, like this guy's obviously been thinking deeply about these things for a long, long time. And, you know, he's just kind of sitting there on the porch, you know, with a cigar, you know, talking about it. And, um, you know, just, to, to try to make that be like, okay, this is it. You know, this is his magnum opus and I'm going to respond to it in my 11 minute video. It's like, yeah, you know, that's, that's probably not going to be very representative of what really happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I guess the interesting thing too is, I mean, you're any reaction to a, to a conversion, you're reacting to somebody's like a massive life change, like a massive paradigm shift. Right. And I know for me, like, sure. E even after I converted, I can encounter things in the Catholic faith that make me feel uncomfortable. Right. I, I, I was not a very, uh, I was not a big fan of Mary for the first year and a bit of my conversion. I didn't pray the rosary. I wasn't really into it. It was still kind of a bit weird for me as a new Catholic. And I've heard lots of Catholics who, who feel the same way. And, and many Catholics who even many years after their conversion, uh, I'm thinking of Jimmy Aiken, who's admitted that he doesn't have a huge Marian devotion. He's not a huge fan of the rosary. That's not for him a huge prayer tool that he uses. And that's okay as a, as a Catholic, right? But you, you, you can encounter things that make you feel uncomfortable post-conversion, even during that conversion, and find ways of, of working that out, of, of making that fit into your worldview so as not to shatter it or make it insincere to, to work through that and go, you know what, I don't have that part figured out, but everything else seems to line up. I'm going to keep going, going down this route. So to think, to think that, oh, I can defeat this guy's conversion by assessing these three points or four points he hasn't thought of yet 
that's not going to be maybe like the, the, the Trump card you want to play that you, you think it is going to be right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and individuals, I think develop kind of their own hierarchy too, you know, where, you know, for me, it was the canon and orthodoxy. It's like, before we talk about anything else, yeah, yeah. like, I don't want to hear about statues or Mary or the Pope. Like you've got to explain those things to me first, you know? And if I could have found a Protestant explanation for the canon and orthodoxy that was fulfilling, I absolutely would have just stayed there. I mean, it's so much easier to be a Protestant than a Catholic, my gosh, you know? Um, and I, uh, you know, I couldn't find it. You know, I mean, I went to Anglicanism, you know, I, I read, you know, the, the top everything that I could about these, these issues. And for me, that was the kind of the top of the hierarchy. Like I need that to be dealt with. Um, those aberrations just can't stand. Like I, regardless of what else I think is true, I can't pretend like those things aren't there. Um, whereas other people, uh, they just read, you know, whatever. And, Oh, the Holy spirit tells you what's in the canon. Okay. sounds good. You know, and, and they're off, you know, um, w- whether or not that is good enough for me, good enough for somebody else is, is a very personal question. And um, so some people convert for kind of dumb reasons in a sense, you know, to me or to somebody else. I mean, even in evangelical Exodus, you know, we've got some pretty varied stories. I mean, that's one of the things that I found so fascinating was when everybody really sat down and, you know, created a narrative out of their conversion. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of you that never would have influenced me. If, if yours was the only story I knew, it's just like, yeah, I just don't care about that. Or I can find what you found somewhere else. Like, why would I go all the way to the Catholic church when all I'd have to do is, is go over here and get that. Um, so yeah, there's just, it, it, there's just such a complexity of different issues, different hierarchies of issues. Um, and then just the knowledge base that we have. Um, yeah, it's always extremely uh, difficult to, I think, judge somebody else, which is probably why we're told not to, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good point. That's a good point. And that's why like in, in our, our CIA program that I run, uh, the very first session is nothing but this is what faith means to a Catholic that, you know, I don't care if you can check all the boxes in the catechism with, I do, you know, you're, you're going to be a Protestant until you accept the authority of the church. Um, it's not my job to convince you that all of these things are true. You know, the only thing you need to decide is whether or not this is the church. And if it is, then your job is to listen. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, yeah. So it, it takes, it's almost like there's two things happening at the same time. You're sort of converting and being convinced, but you're also converting into a different way of thinking about the faith than Protestants even have in the first place. Yeah, it is. And that's so fundamentally different, I think, to, to understand like that, that difference, I think, is, is huge, right? You're, you're on one hand, I was thinking about this recently, because I, I was reading some of the comments. I don't even know why I was, I was doing this, Doug, maybe for, for penance or for torture, but I was reading some of the comments on Twitter. <laughs> I, I shouldn't, and not on Twitter. On one of the the things that that had been posted about this most recent conversion, and a lot of the responses were, well, if you had just looked into classical Protestantism, you wouldn't have become Catholic. You didn't give classical Protestantism a, a fair shake. And my first thought, Doug, was, well, what version of classical Protestantism? Because Calvin and Zwingli and, and Luther couldn't agree on on serious theology at the beginning of classical Protestantism. So my question was, well, how do you sort out, first of all, between those three classical reformers, you know, then, then to, to consider against the idea of becoming Catholic? And that got me thinking of, of that difference, right? The difference of, 
Okay, and I'm becoming Catholic. I'm looking for the church that Christ founded, right? I might be first convinced by issues of the, of the papacy and issues of, of the Eucharist and ask questions, but ultimately what I'm doing is I'm joining this church that I believe Christ founded versus this other idea of looking for, I, I don't know, the, 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 the best, most agreeable version of classical Protestantism that I can find. It seems to me there's two very different things because I'm not looking for the Lutheran Church as the, as the true church, and Luther I don't think would even I don't know make that claim, or Lutherans now wouldn't make that claim. I don't think those are different things that are happening there, right? That I think are really really opposed and really I think misunderstood, right, by people who are looking at this experience from the outside. Yeah, because you as a Protestant, what you're doing is basically saying what which church is teaching the truth the most, right? But the truth ends up being what you already think based on your reading of Scripture. Whereas the Catholic view is, where is the church so that I can be told? <laughs> um, you know, and back to Gavin Orland's video, because it's one of the only ones that I've watched. Um, oh. You know, it was funny because he, he made the same kinds of arguments where he's trying to say, well, you don't, you don't need the Catholic church for simplicity, and you don't need the Catholic church for this, for John 6. Um but every time he quoted a completely different authoritative source in a completely different Protestant tradition. So, like you said, it's like, well, where would you go? It's like, well, you, you can get this from Methodism, and you can get this from Anglicanism, and you can get this from Calvin. Okay, but even if I was just looking for a church that taught all the things I wanted it to teach, there still isn't one, <laughs> because you can't just convert to Protestantism. You know, you have to pick one. Right. Um, but, but even... But, but it's like a whole step back from that. The larger problem is that your process is finding someone to agree with you in the first place. Right. I want this. I don't want simplicity. I don't want the traditional view of hell. Let's go find one that is like that. If that's the way you made your decision, then you're, you're just a Protestant going to mass. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that that's so interesting. And I think not to pick on someone like Gavin Orland, who's a great guy, let's be honest. He's He's awesome. But I remember a video that he made a while back, I think, um, talking, you know, Jessica Camber Tuesday, talking about don't become Catholic. And I think you had at some point a response to some of those comments that he made in, indirectly, maybe, or something. And I think that was fantastic. But I remember the idea of some of these, the, these thinkers, these evangelical thinkers who are advocating for, or say, return to classical Protestant theology, classical Protestantism, these kinds of ideas, are often then also talking about look, we can ground our, our Protestant faith in things like the Church Fathers. Because the Church Fathers, of course, are one of those things. You know, I had Marcus Gordai on the show very, very early on. You were earlier, Doug, but he was also pretty early on. And I, I, and I asked him, <laughs> you were still first. And I asked him, you know, what are the, the, the main reasons why people on his show, The Journey Home, become Catholic? And he said, it's authority and the Church Fathers were the two top things that he always hears hosting the show for 25 years or something, right? So the church fathers are, are, are a thing that, that are drawing people into the church, but people like Ortland and others who are talking in this space have this idea that, okay, we can, we can take from the church fathers the best of the church fathers and still remain Protestant. But again, my problem still in that situation, looking back on my own journey and others, other journeys, uh, is, well, you're still kind of picking and choosing. Like you're doing this what was called theological retrieval from the church fathers, but you're retrieving the theology that again fits what you already have come to understand the Bible to be or, 
Like you're not going back and, and suddenly pulling out immaculate conception stuff from, from way back when uh, and saying, oh, I'm, I'm taking this now because that's not in your pre-existing view of Protestantism and your understanding of, of the Bible, right? So I don't, again, I, I can't see a way of doing that that doesn't run into that same problem of you're picking and kind of choosing, right? Yeah, you see almost like the the opposite of that was was what got me so into orthodoxy because you know SES was all about let's deal with the cults and let's deal with this and that it's like well how do you identify a cult well what you do is you take all of the orthodox christians and you figure out what they believe that's the essentials and then you know as long as you agree on those essentials like well wait a minute though but you you didn't include the mormons and the jehovah's witnesses when you looked for your list of essentials like you already knew who the orthodox people were you made your essentials list based on who's in that group. And then you use that list to exclude other people. It's like, well, that's just circular. Um, and it's kind of the same thing. If, if I can just pick and choose from the church fathers and I just pick and choose the things that um, are already there or sound like they're already there. Um, well then of course I'm going to, I'm going to come out with some list. Um, I mean, I had to do this for Dr. Geisler. That was literally my job for two years was making his views sound historic, <laughs> you know, because he would say, okay, here's all the stuff I believe. Now go, you know, dig into the church fathers and find quotes that sound like this. And literally that was all I did. Knowing that I didn't know enough about the church fathers to, to proclaim what any of them believe, but I just figured, well, that's his job. You know, he's the scholar. It's his systematic theology, not mine. I'm just going to give him a bunch of quotes and he can do with them, you know, do whatever he wants with them. Well, as far as I know, they all pretty much ended up in there. Um, and it was just literally just this pile of sentences that used the words, you know, that, that, uh, that he used. Um, yeah. And that's just such a, such an aberrant way of using, I mean, like a Mormon could do that too, right? A Mormon yeah. could find lots of support in the church fathers. Um, anybody could, if you just pick the things that are, you're already in agreement with, well, that doesn't prove agreement. It just proves that you knew what you thought going in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just like the most perfect example of special pleading, you know, in existence probably. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite examples of that is, is uh, Rod Bennett. I've had in the show before a number of times, a very good friend of the show, like, like you are Doug. And he said to me one time, the, the, the test for any church that wants to say that has roots in the ancient church is to to plunk a church father into that church, like you know, take Jerome and just put him down in, in, in First Baptist Church, right? And see how long it takes him to say something that everyone gets freaked out by, right? Because <laughs> his point was, you can find a lot, you can retrieve a lot from the church fathers that fit in your, say, Baptist or Pentecostal or, or, or Anglican or, or Methodist framework, and have those church fathers say things that fit in with your pre-existing worldview, that denomination, but they're also going to say things that sound really Catholic, almost all of them. And how do you deal with those aberrations when, you know, how can that person be a teacher or a pastor in your church when once in a while they mention the Blessed Virgin Mary in some kind of wacky context that doesn't fit with your theology? And, and he said, you know, that's going to happen if you take the church fathers at their at face value let them let them speak as in their totality. They're gonna say Catholic things, and you have to deal with that somehow, right? And that's where that picking and choosing kind of comes in. And and I've thought this too, this kind of thought experiment recently this week, just kind of driving into work, thinking this through as I'm as I'm processing these kind of conversions. Uh, you know, what would it what would it take for me to have remained Protestant? You know, with my love for the church fathers, and as I began to read the Antinicene fathers in this giant collection that I bought off Amazon for three bucks on my Kindle and read nice. thousands of pages of this, right? And didn't know I was even getting into it at the time. 
I don't know how I could have just read that at face value and and remained remained Protestant and said, okay, my theology is okay as a Protestant. I can I can take the best of this and ignore the rest of this. That's that's a pretty cool little, little rhyme there, Doug. I just <laughs> I, I just made up. I I couldn't. I don't know how I could live in that kind of cognitive dissonance for very long. It just seems like it's a self-defeating, you know, ironic, downright wrong way of doing doing theology of just because you got to know you're picking and choosing like what are you how are you grappling with those things that are distinctly catholic like like the papacy for example it just seems like that's i don't know for for me you get that far and it's just not possible to ignore those things without going a little bit further yeah i i think you know, there's a there's a view of the history of religion that goes along with being protestant because you, you've got to fit yourself into the narrative right because no, no, I mean, no, even remotely aware, self-aware Protestant thinks that they are in the church that Jesus started, right? right. Um, what they tend to believe is that the church eventually went wrong and eventually got so bad that it was, you know, it was required that they kind of hit the reset button and start over again. And different people had different chunks of Catholicism that they took with them and blah, 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 blah. And now here we are, right? Um, so you've almost got to have like this evolutionary view of religion in order for your particular Protestant branch to make sense. And so I think to them, once you have that mindset, it's like, well, you know, here, there's a seed here in Augustine and there's another chunk over here in Athanasius. And, you know, 2000 years later, here we are where we know everything. Um, and so as long as you can find it somewhere back there, that makes it legitimate. That's really all you need for the church fathers to legitimize right. you is that you can find somebody somewhere that said this. Um, but yeah, like you say, you're definitely not looking at an organic view of what did this, you know, would this person go to my church? That was one of the things I used to ask myself is if you resurrected all the great Christian, you know, influencers, you know, um, you know, <laughs> minds of the last 2000 years, like who would go to, you know, Grace Creek community, whatever, it's like none of them would, you know, like it's very clear that none of them would go there. <laughs> um, and, and not because every single thing that, that this church teaches is false, but because it's just, it's not Catholic. Like they, they wouldn't even know what you were doing without the liturgy and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and I just, yeah, like I, it would be really embarrassing if Augustine and Aquinas and Chrysostom were across the street, you know, and I'm over here, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm probably the one in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess, I guess to steal Manlin's argument, there are Catholics and there are, Church fathers say that we we as Catholics don't take everything they said because they had views that were later right kind of distanced by you know by church councils ruling authoritatively right you can you can I guess I guess I mean the pushback would be look you guys don't take all these church fathers and everything they say as the gospel truth say for example you guys too pick and choose because some things that church fathers will say early on are later ruled against at a council and so you'll take some of a certain I can't think of an example off the top of my head but you'll take some of one certain church father and leaves other things behind that were later proven to be not what the church ended up finally teaching, right? So if we do that sometimes, what's so wrong with a Protestant picking and choosing, you know, you know, their their pieces that they think this got this guy got right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and that's, you know, I think that that is kind of indirectly like the argument for the church, right? That yes, that is why you need <laughs> yeah. a mechanism for figuring <laughs> yeah. that out. You know, um, that's a good point. It, 
we're not saying that you have to believe every single thing anybody ever said. Um, you know, there were people in the book of Acts that really got things wrong. And how did they settle it? Well, they had a council. Um, so we believe that God actually has, an, you know, um, inspired his church with revelation, but he has also safeguarded the church through a certain mechanism that allows us to, to, you know, develop instead of, instead of, um, you know, distort what was in seed form earlier on. So yeah, some people can go wrong and some people can say some things that don't end up being true, but at least like the church is internally coherent in that we have been doing the same thing that you see them do in scripture um, where you have bishops and you have councils and you have these things that they can settle those debates. And, you know, we believe that if Augustine was around today, he'd follow Vatican too, you know, <laughs> um, because that's just what you did back then. He just didn't have that. Um, so he was a little more free to, to guess at things. But what we're not doing is just going back and reading our views back into them and pretending that they are in agreement with us. Um, so that's, you know, that's a pretty critical difference, I think. Yeah, and I guess the idea too is you're, you're still in the one version as a Protestant theologian, you're still using your your own kind of magisterium, your own kind of authority rule to, to, to pick and to figure out which to pick and choose. Uh, of those things, when they were right, when they were wrong, versus like this idea of that really is an apologetic for the church that can actually rule, you know, as a, a Christ-given authority and says as much on which of these things are, are what we believe now and, and which aren't right. I don't think any person, I don't think any person, any Protestant theologian is saying, I have the Christ-given authority to rule on where this church father was right or wrong. They're just making their best kind of, you know, educated guess, right? right. Unless you're maybe in, in some kind of cult or new religious sect who's making these kinds of claims, right? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, maybe we're wrong. You know, may, maybe the, the, the Pope isn't infallible and maybe all these councils have been wrong, you know, um, that's fine. But, to start off with, at least we have some internal coherency. Like we have a theory that at least in theory will work. Um, of course, so do the Mormons and so do the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? So then you have to use a different um, set of criteria to judge those. But what you can't do is say, well, I have no mechanism for discerning between all these different views of scripture or views of church history or views of whatever. Um, so it's just going to be me, right? Um and, and I think, again, that's where the Catholic mindset is different, is that the Catholic is saying, okay, there is theoretically a way to determine these things, and that is through the church that God gave us. So now I can use other means, not by agreement with my theology, but his, you know, history and philosophy and things like that, to find that church. And that really becomes the, the main apologetic issue, is where is that church? Is it? in utah you know <laughs> okay here's the arguments for the mormons you know is it in new jersey here's the arguments for the jehovah's witnesses um or is it rome um but what you can't do uh, to me it just makes no sense at all is to say i'm, I'm going to go read through the bible figure out what i think among all these hundreds of opinions what it means and then i'm going to use that as the criteria for deciding where the church is well then you know it's kind of like your own, you're your own boss, you're your own authority. Well, that that's kind of the same thing as saying there is no authority because it's just you. Yeah. I think one more thing on this, Doug, and then I'll let you go because this has been a great conversation. I don't want to keep you all, all night long, although we certainly could. 
I, I have a very good friend who's an Anglican priest, and an Anglo-Catholic priest. He's very Catholic-leaning. Anglican, though, in his current role and, and denomination. And I always think, like, how does, how does somebody live in that kind of existence where it seems like the Anglican Church is falling to pieces around, around your knees, making very lateral moves away from Scripture and, and tradition, yet, you know, still cleave to, to that church? And I, I think this goes along with the idea of some of these people who are looking at these conversions and kind of going like, what, why? And it's the idea that you just you just can't know or, or there isn't this church anymore, right? Maybe there was a church at some point Christ founded, but we're now we're agnostic on this idea that there can't, you know, we're, we're, you can't even try and find it. It's gone. It's buried in the, in the, in the annals of history. It's, it's gone to pieces. It's gone into, you know, it's, it's, it's drifted from what Christ founded. It's not there anymore. And so if you have that as a starting point that there, you can't possibly know what the church is, I guess maybe you're okay kind of picking and choosing your theology based on what you think is the best reading of the Bible. If you think there's no real other way of doing that because the church is is gone. That, that for me at least kind of cognitively jives, but it comes from a place where like, I don't know, I guess you you just assume that that Christ either didn't really found one church, which kind of goes against what the history of things, or that that church kind of just faded away and Christ let that kind of kind of happen, I guess. Right? I'm trying to think through the, the, the best argument from this point of view. I don't know, I guess it's, it's one of those options, maybe? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I have to remind myself occasionally to try to put myself back in that mindset yeah. so that I can help yeah. people, you know, it's kind of where with one accord the book came from was like, while I can still write this, I need to write this. You know? um, but I try to think of it like, you know, even if, cause I still have good friends that are, that are not Catholic um, and, and they even see, they see all the issues as clearly as you or I do. And they, they just can't quite make themselves go over. So, you know, a thought experiment for Catholics that don't get it might be something like, you know, what, what if the Pope came out and just dogmatically, infallibly, without question, just started decreeing that, you know, abortion was okay and homosexuality was okay and, you know, murdering people of a certain race was okay. And it, boom, I mean, it was in the catechism the next year and they called Vatican three and, you know, I mean, like they did everything. There's absolutely no way around it. This is what the church teaches now. Like, what would you do? <laughs> um You've only really got, well, let, let's just bracket off orthodoxy for a minute because that's a whole other, you know, problem. But, I mean, as far as, like, Catholic-Protestant, right, you've got this church that in theory, at least in theory, kind of makes sense out of all these things, but it's just so clearly absolutely wrong. Like, so it can't be that, but, well, I mean, what else is there other than private judgment at that point, right? Like, you just don't have any other, because you got all the Protestants, private judgment, and then you've got the Catholic Church. And if it can't be Catholic, it's got to be this other thing. So I'm just going to get as close as I possibly can. And I think that when you consider Marian dogmas, papal infallibility and stuff, those are just as far off the table for a lot of Protestants yeah, yeah, as, yeah. as this other stuff that has never actually happened. Um, and that's the, the situation they find themselves in. It's just, yeah, what you're saying makes perfect sense, but there's absolutely no way yeah. I can buy into that. And, and that's where I think, that is the place where like Catholic answers and stuff like that come in where, you know, the, the Catholic apologist isn't trying to affirm the Protestant in their Protestant way of thinking. But if you really truly cannot accept a teaching and there is a good argument that will help you, then I think 
Catholic apologists need to do that. Like we can't just hammer the authority thing forever. Um, but you need to get kind of past that pretty quickly. It's like, okay, once I at least get to where, you know, Catholicism could be on the table, then we pretty quickly need to shift into the authority question. Um, but yeah, for some people, I just don't think it's there. Like it's just, it's, it's as impossible for them as, as that goofy scenario that I just made up would be for us. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what, that's very well said, Doug. We have you on the show for these awesome insights that you give once in a while. You crack them, you nail them out of the park, Doug. So thank you. Thank you for that. Where do you want to point listeners towards to find uh, more of your stuff, your YouTube channel? I'll link these things in the show notes too, because they're, they're great places. Uh, where else should they go to, to find all yeah. your stuff and to follow you? I mean, douglasbeaumont.com, that's kind of the hub for everything. So you can get from there into the writings, you can get from there into the videos. Um, but, you know, so if you subscribe to Douglas Beaumont on YouTube, then, you know, you'll know when new videos come out every three to 10 years. And, uh, <laughs> um, but if you're just looking for one thing to remember, it's just myname.com, and then, you know, you'll find everything from there. That's fantastic. Uh, Douglas, the original guests for the show, uh, thank you for coming back all these years later, many, many episodes, and uh, all the happier turns in between. I've had you on the show a number of times, so thanks for always coming back, Doug. Always Absolutely. a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, God bless you and the work you're doing for the church. It's awesome stuff, Doug, and thanks for being here once again today. You as well. It's always an enjoyable time talking to my friend, Dr. Doug Beaumont. Hopefully you learned something new, enjoyed that conversation. I know I did. I always do. The OG from the Court of Catholic Guest Backlogged, episode number four. Wow, what a guy. What a trip. What a ride. TheCourtsOfCatholic.com is our website for show notes for my blog, things I'm doing, things I'm up to, things I'm writing. Check that out. We're on social media. Uh, well, at last, on Twitter at CordialCatholic, on Instagram at CordialCatholic, we're the Cordial Catholic on Facebook, and we're on TikTok as well, Cordial Catholic. Watch what you're listening to at youtube.com slash the Cordial Catholic, and send me your feedback. I'd love to hear from you guys where you are, where you're listening from, why you're listening, who you are, what your story is, any questions, comments, feedback, cordialcatholic at gmail.com. If you want to support the work of this show that we're doing week after week, help me and my family to afford to spend this time and, and resources to do this stuff, head over to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic for a monthly support or paypal.me slash cordialcatholic for a one-time donation. Patrons get access to all kinds of extra features. Those are rolling out again as we finally become more established in our new city and I have the office set up here in the studio and things are going. Uh, those perks are back out and rolling in the coming days. So check out patreon.com slash Cordial Catholic if you want to be a monthly supporter and get access to some cool perks along the way. Thanks for listening, friends. Thanks for being here. Please pray for me. Know that I'm praying for you too each and every day. Thanks for listening. Take care. God bless. And talk to you next time, friends. See you later. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.